When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Today's episode is brought to you by our dedicated followers and listeners, as well as our supporters on our Buy Me a Coffee page. If you enjoy the show, please help support us by leaving a review of a comment, following us on our Twitter, or sharing the show with your friends and family. And if you want to support the show even further, check out our BMAC page for more information. Link will be in the description. We have also opened up a brand new merch store. We are selling t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, posters, and iPhone cases. Hello, and welcome to Into the Night. Hello, and welcome to Into the Night, a Finance Freddy's podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and thank you for listening. Well, if you have listened to our previous episode, episode 22, Count the Ways, or if you've been following us on our Twitter, you know that tonight's episode is going to be another question-answered episode. In truth, I had predicted this would have happened after two scenarios— one would be we would finally have gotten more news on security breach ruin, and thus I can comment and talk about that. And second was when we reached 500k downloads. And second was when we reached 500k downloads, which I had predicted we would reach by the end of the year. Unfortunately, Stable's communication and PR are still lacking external communication to the FNAF fandom, so we don't have any idea how the progress or development is going with the ruin project. But in alternative spectacular news, into the Night, as of the release of our Count the Ways episode, has reached over 500k downloads. So I'd like to thank all of you for listening. I've had nothing but tremendous support ever since this project started. I read every review and every comment, and I take every criticism to heart, and I try to constantly improve to give you guys the best show I possibly can. And even when I look back on my previous work, like I have with the earlier episodes I made in 2021 or early 2022, or when I work on Premiere and Adobe software I have limited experience in, and I have to continuously learn about, you were always there to give me support and motivate me to keep doing this podcast. So thank you, everyone. Thank you. I'd also like to request everyone to listen to the end for an update on the show moving forward as well. Before we begin, before we begin, before we begin, I'd also like to request everyone to listen to the end for an update on the show moving forward. So, when we get to our final question, please stick around. Before we move on to the questions, I'd like to request that everyone, even at the end of the final question, to please listen to the end, as there will be an update to the show moving forward. So, without further ado, let's get into the questions. Like last time, these are my honest reactions. I have not seen any of them before, and my answers will be genuine prompt responses. 
The first question comes from Juan Gross, who asks, Hey Nick, there's no easy way to explain my unfortunately many questions, but I'll try my best. Why was the original band being used for parts in the FNAF 2 restaurant if the FNAF 1 restaurant hadn't been created in the first place? Did I understand everything wrong? Also, had the OG band been used in another location before being brought into FNAF 2's location? And in which of these locations did William have to commit his murders and stuff the kids' bodies into the suits? If the OG band had the souls of the MCI children, what did the toy band animatronics possess? Well, that is a lot of questions, Juan. Uh, but I think your inquiries all culminate in an explanation of the withered animatronics from Final Fantasy II. We all know that FNAF 2 is a prequel to the original. This is evident by the fact that Phone Guy is still alive despite being killed by the Fazbear Band during his last week on the job. Um, the original animatronics appear to be decaying, and they have the appearance of metallic walling corpses, you know. According to Phone Guy, there was a previous location where these characters were present. Freddy Fazbear's Pizza. Following the missing children incident, though, the location was closed and the company rebranded itself to be more kid-friendly through the toy animatronics. In an unsurprising move, Fazbear Entertainment also kept the old bots around. As uh, in an unsurprising move, Fazbear Entertainment also kept the old robots around as spare parts for the brand new toy robots. As for where the missing children incident occurred, the answer is the original pizzeria. In both locations, dead children spirits are present, but the serial killing in the new Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria, the one with the toy animatronics, was not the same as the missing children's incident. If we interpret the death in a game, save them at face value, the bodies of William's victims were out in the open in that scenario. This is why Phone Guy informs you the place is under investigation and why it's being shut down, uh, and why the company, police, and public all know that several children have been murdered and it was the result of William Afton using the spring body suit. Moving on to the next question, we have one from At Nation Cared. How's it going, buddy? Who writes, what motivated you to keep going? I remember you started the podcast as a college assignment, but it's genuinely amazing and it became so much more. Ugh, my heart. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, At Nation. Thank you so much. That's, that's very kind. That really means a lot. Thank you. <laughs> um, to your question, what kept me going? Uh, it was multiple things over a period of time, actually. I was really only planning on going up to uh, Freddy Fazbear's Pizza Review Simulator FNAF 6, uh, and that's where I would end it. I would end it on uh, when we covered that one and maybe Ultimate Custom Night. I mean, it was a college project, but even during its inception, I hadn't wanted to create a podcast like this for people who were new to the series and wanted to learn more about it, and uh, fans of the series who wanted refreshers or a mostly, or mostly unbiased take on the franchise's story. I was surprised to see the response they've gotten as time went on. You, you all really seem to enjoy what I'm doing and were messaging me to do more. So I thought if people enjoyed it, I might as well keep it going. I was also getting noticed by things like Amazon with Audible and thought that if it kept growing, this could also be a great thing to have on the resume, you know. Adobe is never a bad thing to say you have talent in, but having a podcast with a positive following, a positive following, but having a podcast with positive following is great evidence to support that. Uh, finally, there's also the artistic side of it. I mean, I've been able to make some projects like uh, like the Count the Ways episode, which I believe has been the best episode I've ever been able to produce. Uh, I, I've been able to go all out with that sort of thing. You know, create an amazing, immersive experience, work with other professionals in the field. I like to make something special. 
and the progress and traction the show has gained are still baffling to me. I mean, recently gained enough traction that I've been able to do merchandise. That's something I never thought we'd be able to do. And who knows, maybe someday in the future I can do this full time. I mean, that'd be a dream come true. But I mean, I've already gotten farther than I ever thought I would with this project, you know. I mean, the monetary side really never played a part in why I continued to do it, even with the Audible brand deal I had for a few episodes or, or the Buy Me a Coffee page. The, the latter was because people had asked me if I had a Patreon or BMAC page to donate to the show, and the former was more so, it was an exciting opportunity. I mean, who, who wouldn't want to have a sponsor on your work? It shows that people are watching you, and it's great real-world experience. And once again, it's great to have on, on the resume. But... It really was just the passion for making something that made people happy. I mean, that's something I've always wanted to do. You know, I've always wanted to make something that just made people feel good, feel happy in their life. And the podcast has been the first time I've been able to do something like that in mass. And it was the first time I've been able to accomplish something akin to that goal. And it's been very... It's been very blessed. That's, that's the best way to sum, uh, sum it up. I, I've been very much blessed by the audience I have. So thank you so much, guys. And thank you for asking that question at Care Nation. It's a great question. Up next is Brenton Allen. Hello, Brenton. Hope you're doing well. Uh, he writes, so my theory is that in FNAF VR, if they took Afton's circuit board, maybe one half of Afton is still alive inside Springtrap and the other is Glitchtrap who worked together to control Vanessa and create Burn Trap through the Glamrock bodysuit. Interesting theory. L- let's preface this, because this is a bizarre topic right now, so let's preface this with the notion that it's a security breach. Nothing is completely impossible in that game. But it is an interesting concept to throw out, since there isn't any real explanation for how William Afton was able to possess Vanessa through the Freddy Fazbear virtual experience. In the form of a computer virus, no doubt. Unless... But somehow he miraculously returns back to his old damaged spring trap suit in Security Breach. But it's an interesting concept to throw out since there isn't any real explanation for how, you know, William Afton was able to possess Vanessa through the Freddy Fazbear experience in the form of a computer virus, but miraculously returned back to his old damaged spring trap suit in Security Breach. Nothing definitely dis. Now, to your theory, nothing definitely disproves it. I don't think Steel or Scott could forget that Adam was currently possessing Vanessa's mind, but given how abrupt the ending of Security Breach is, it's completely possible we are missing an explanation that was originally communicated via cut content. I personally like the theory that Vanessa no longer has Afton in her mind by the time of Security Breach, and by um, using the VR headset again, he is transferred back out of her mind into, into a suit, but Vanessa continues to do his bidding as her mind had already become so, you know, broken by him. I mean, we all remember what happened to Jeremy when Afton was gnawing at his head. He was driven to suicide and cut his face off. Who's to say that after enough time under his influence, the possessive's mental state becomes so deranged and unrepairable even after his influence leaves? Now, now I'd like to clarify that even I don't believe in this theory completely. And the Prince's Quest ending to Secure Breach heavily implies Afton is still somehow in her mind, despite being in his body as well. If the idea is that he is split into two souls, but in weaker forms to both uh, influence Vanessa on one end and control his burn, set, burn trap suit in the other, 
it is definitely a viable explanation. And you can laugh all you want when I say this, but if this is the canon reason, I think we are going way too far in the direction of Afton coming back. I mean, this is up there. This is up there with Palpatine coming back from the Death Star's explosion, being reduced to atoms, but surviving because we say so levels of ridiculousness. It is probably better to just retire the character moving forward in the timeline if it is the case, because it's just going way too far, and the justification is getting very... There's only so much you can... There's only so much um, suspense of logic that you can have for a story, and the splitting of souls is one of those things, in my opinion. Uh, but I don't want to dissuade your opinion on your theory, Breton. I still think it's a very... Substantial theorem does have once again it has nothing to disprove it. So thank you so much for spending and I I mean if I can't disprove it, I mean there's a good chance it's real. So that's a great theory, Brenton. Thank you so much. I hope you have a good day. Uh next up is Pivical. How do you do? Uh who asks, I don't know if you've answered this before, but what's your opinion on FNAF world? Great question. I have never been asked this before, I believe. I think at most I was asked uh, why I skipped FNAF World, and I don't know if that was in the past QA or in a question I answered through the emails, uh, but I'll repeat my answer just for the record. I didn't find it important. Broadly speaking, it is considered non-canon by the fandom, and Scott openly mocks it. Um, as for just my opinion on it, I, I believe it would depend on the moment in time. On release, I would say that I was disappointed in it. I would consider it a misstep in every direction. I feel like FNAF's general audience occasionally forgets the version of FNAF World we can play right now wasn't the one we got on release. FNAF World on launch looked nothing like it would have. FNAF World on launch looked like nothing what we have now. It was updated. The overworld and visuals were an absolute eyesore. Despite a more modern and clean version being shown in Scott's trailer, I mean, one could even argue it bordered on false advertising with that. But, but, but that being said, Scott recognized his mistake with FNAF World. He removed it from the storefront. Uh, he removed it from the storefront, gave everyone who bought it full refunds, uploaded it to Game Jolt where it was updated to look better, and even gave it more content than what it initially had. Uh, then he used that to uh, promote security. Sorry. He even used it to tease his next big project's location, which was a massive step forward in the franchise. So, so from the viewpoint of what it became, I would say I respect it. I think it showed Scott's commitment to delivering quality to his fans. And it genuinely shows that he is trying his best to create games and stories that we love. But overall, I also think I stand with Scott's own opinion on the game, which he uh, gave during his interview with Daco. After all, I'm fairly certain if there was any lore to gain from FNAF World, Scott has ultimately scrapped it or reinvented it and used it in another game. But yeah, that's my overall opinion. That, that's my overall opinion on FNAF World. Great question. Uh, next question comes from Carter, who asks, Hey, I love your show, but why did you only choose the two books? Are you going to do more? Um, thank you for submitting a question, Carter. I believe I actually... I, I think I did, yeah, no, I did three, and that's when, and Count the Ways was when I, 
Okay, I'm sorry. You confused me for a second, Gar. I'm not going to lie there. Uh, yes, I have done three books, actually, and uh, two story analysis on the Tales books. One is on the podcast. The other is on the uh, Buy Me a Coffee page. But as to your question as to why I chose those three, if that's the question, I assume, it was because all three books were some sort of my... It was, all, it was because all three books were my favorites in the Fast and Fright series. Uh, Coming Home and Count the Ways in particular, I believe, are near perfect. They're great, and I wish they were canon. Because I think it shows how you don't need to reinvent the canon or do something completely different to create a FNAF story in novella format. The characters and world are rich enough that you can expand on them and create an interesting narrative while still being in the same world with the same rules with the same characters. You don't need to do a different timeline. You don't need to do a different universe. You can just use what you have in that world. Susie's story coming home really hits home on how terrible the missing children's incident was and expands upon how, while we only see the victims of William's actions being the children who were killed, there was also numerous families and friends who now had to, who now had to live with their loved one's death. And Count the Ways, I felt, was a nice expansion on the character of Fundime Freddy. I mean, it really amplified how terrifying of a character he is, how bloodthirsty and brutal, yet cunning and intelligent he could be. I've noticed many who care primarily on the lore uh, simply write the story off. I know Matt Pat on his theory videos on the first FNAF book, uh, he focused on how it confirmed that the fun times were designed to kill, and that's the only, only thing he took from it. Um, well, Ellis Mark and his new video that just came out, I think he wrote off a simple, as just a simple story that was a bit on the nose with its messaging. Uh, and I, I disagree on those, on both those takes. I find Count the Ways to be the most compelling and it primarily has to do with its writing style and how they contrast the character Fun and Freddy with the story's protagonist, Millie. Um, I'll save more of my thoughts on that though for the Shadow Scrying episode. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, Fetch, however, was more so me gushing over my love of how they are willing to just run with an idea, you know, just run with an idea, you know. I love how, even though I make fun of it and I had that spiel on, you don't need to reinvent the the Fazbear Fright series. I can't say that I can't say I'm not impressed uh, with how they're just not afraid to try new things. And I think Fetch is one of the funniest examples of it, not the scariest by a wide margin, but engaging and the real world science behind it behind the story's logic is fun you know that's that's all i can say about it. i just think the story is really fun even with its very very cringy young adult writing <laughs> it, it, the, the writer still didn't know how to completely write children yet so it, it still has that sort of uh uh rough draft writing in it but it's it's still a great story uh, before I move on, I guess I should answer that final part of that question. Uh, yes, I will be doing more of the Fast Fright books uh, eventually. I do plan to do similar episodes for the Tales books and vice versa, doing Shadow Scrying episodes for the Fast Fright books. I plan to cover them all. I already have plans for a few. Great question, Carter. Up next, this question comes from at Avox the Wooks. Hello, hello, Avex. I know I'm from Twitter. I hope you are doing well. Uh, what do you think the whole deal with the FNAF 2 toy animatronics are about? You think it's just a side effect from the Wither animatronics and Golden Freddy being there? Or do you think they're possessed as well? I never really understood it. 
great question, Apex. And, and, I, and I, as I said with uh, Juan's question at the beginning of this, we know that an event similar to the MCI happened at the new Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria in FNAF 2. And, and this is where we may go into theorizing, but if we take the Death Minute games in FNAF 2 at face value, we can determine several differences compared to the MCI. We know that in the MCI, William was more meticulous and organized. Um, he stalked his victims and learned their emotional weaknesses to better manipulate them into coming into the back room so he could kill them. The killing in FNAF 2 feels much more rushed and emotional, in my opinion. Uh, the save of the minigame implies that all five victims died on the same day compared to a stretched-out campaign, and were possibly not even lured but killed quietly by him out in the open, left to be discovered throughout the day. However, and I get where your confusion is coming from, Avix, we know that killing happened during the day of Jerry Fitzgerald's sixth and final night shift, so how can the toys be possessed and be a threat to Jeremy if nobody had died prior to night six? I, and I believe it was the night three phone call where phone guy gives a sort of pseudo answer to this. I've always taken the phone guy's night three phone call as the reasoning for why William wasn't spotted and reported by the toy robots during his time as a night guard worker. He worked the night shift to tamper with the toy animatronics facial recognition system. And once that was successful, he can move to the day shift to achieve his goals. However, we know the toy animatronics were repaired and somewhat built with the old parts of the original band. Thus, their influence clings to them and causes them to act erratically. At least, that's the interpretation that I think I and many others got from the games. Uh, and William Matthew in the novels explains that children are lost and forgetful as well. It's a byproduct of possession that the dead slowly forgets their original selves as they continue to live on past their time. All the children know is that they were betrayed and killed by an adult and thus have formed a hatred and fear of adults and will lash out at anyone who looks like one. The book goes as far as to show that teenagers around the age of uh, 16, I believe that's what Charlie and her friends were around that age, uh, they still count as adults in their eyes because that is how a child would view their elders. They would view someone in high school about to get to college, they would view that as an adult. So I believe it is a combination of a few things. In the early nights, it was the tampering of the animatronic spatial recognition systems and the MCI victim's influence. But after William's next batch of victims were killed, they possessed the toy animatronics and attacked the adults who were wearing the same guard attire that he was. And of course, by night seven, when Michael takes the job and is posing as Fritz Smith, they attack him because they believe he is William due to Mike and Will's uncanny resemblance. Oh, that's a fantastic question, Avex. Thank you so much for submitting one. See you on Twitter there, buddy. Uh, up next, very important question from Mr. Hippo. He asks, is Mr. Hippo the key to solving the FNAF lore? Yes. Up next is at Ace Trainer one who writes, what is your favorite FNAF game in-game soundtrack? Uh... Mine has to be the 8-Bit Travel 2 from FNAF World. I really wanted to know because I think the FNAF OSTs are really underrated. Uh, interesting question, and uh, I would agree with you. Uh, I do believe FNAF's OSTs are very underrated, and it's not just because I use their ambient tracks uh, for this podcast, 
uh, all the time. That that that's 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 clearly not the reason. Why why, why would you think that? Um, <laughs> um, Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants—they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I've always been a fan of Smashed Windshields, just for the pure beat of it alone. Uh, it's, it is so catchy. Uh, it's one of the best retro themes that FNAF has done. Uh, in fact, at first listen, you might be surprised to hear it is even from FNAF 6, or just a FNAF game at all. It's so different than the dark and dire ambience it usually attempts to achieve with its OSTs. Uh, but out of the entire series, I have to give it to the Security Breach Trailer 2 thing. I love how it starts a dreadful, quiet ambience before transitioning hard into the main theme, which is loud and dramatic. And it is just so, like, invigorating and intoxicating, you know? It gets you pumped for uh, an adventure, it gets you pumped for horror, and it has this small ticking clock that adds some tension to it. I think it's a well, well-crafted uh, track, and I wish it was in the actual game. Now, the Sands is just a trailer track, unfortunately. Great question. Uh, next question comes from at Boyo, who asks, have you considered making an episode on the story of FNAF AR special delivery and its lore? Stuff like the emails between employees, including Vanessa and Lewis, and of course the background of the Fazbear Funtime service. Good question, Boyo. That answer is a resounding no. <laughs> Until we get some level of confirmation, it is considered canon. It's confusing, I know. The original intent of the AR game was clearly a precursor story to Security Breach. It introduced us more to Vanessa's character and such. But since that AR game is now effectively dead, with Illumix both abandoning it and the FNAF franchise alongside Security Breach, only acknowledging the game through like basically being a retcon of the events, like a chain like I think it changed Lewis from being to IT to security. I believe, I believe it changed that. It also implied that he was a Fazbear Entertainment employee, whereas FNAF AR implied that he was part of some secondary company, as was Vanessa, which uh, also seems to not be the case anymore. I think it's safe to say that along the way, the story became a non-canon one. I know John from uh, FNAF, um, I'm trying to pronounce his, I'm trying to pronounce his channel's name, I'm sorry, uh, FNAF attempted to explain it in his video about the differences in story direction, but I think the answer is similar to the one he gave. I'm not saying it was a bad answer, I'm not going to lie. I think his theory does hold water and might be where they go in the future with it, but 
I believe that Scott probably just recognized that story being told in FNAF ER was just a highly ridiculous one. <laughs> the Fazbear Funtime service is, it's, it's very clearly inspired by the Funtime service shown in Sigil Location, writing out robots for an event, Funtime's even in the name. The difference is that the Sigil Location animatronics was a limited cast of four robots. So when something went wrong, it is easy enough to believe no one saw anything suspicious surrounding the robots with so few events. You can suspend your disbelief for that. Plus, the whole point of the fun types of silication was also because William got caught using those animatronics to capture and kill kids. So juxtapose that to FNAF AR's plot of Glitchtrap being implanted into the Fazbear Funtime service via Vanessa and using those robots to attack the customers who order them, it clearly creates a massive plot hole. There's just no way Fazbear Entertainment can cover that up, and the public will definitely hear about it, which then contradicts the supposed clean reputation the brand now has, and thus would lead to no security breach because ain't no way anyone's going to the Mega Pizza Plex where murder bots are on the loose. And if you have a team of spin doctors who can cover up multiple homicides and missing people reports, all of which are connected via the use of the Fazbear Funtime servers in such a short span of time, that company would not be creating children's entertainment venues. They would be ruling as emperors of the universe. So to summarize, <laughs> I won't be covering it until it is made explicitly clear that it is akin to the series moving forward, because as of right now, it uh, doesn't appear to be. So I'm sorry to disappoint you, Boyo. Uh, but great question. Thank you so much for submitting. At the man Jedi one asks, what is your opinion? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, what is your opinion on Daco's meme reviews? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, they're great. I love them. I've watched every single one. I've even tried to throw my hat into the ring and get in one with a submission, but I don't think I've ever been in a video. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a great idea. Every fandom needs something positive to like, something where we can openly mock the thing we enjoy, but cast it in the light of guarded comedy. Um... It's healthy and with the series it's healthy and with the series so dark as FNAF can be sometimes. I think it is only human to want to cast some color in a bleak world. Thanks for submitting question, Boyo. Next one comes from at Fredbear underscore hi. Uh, oh, he asked some older questions. Uh what were some of your favorite moments of security breach? The plot is <laughs> Oh dear. Uh, what do you think slash hope will happen in the ruined deals? Oh dear, dear. <laughs> We're going down this rabbit hole. Uh, and how do you think that movie will affect the lore? Will you cover it when it comes out? Well, a very bold set of questions to ask me. Uh, but to be honest and fair, let's be honest and fair. No uh, over-the-top hatred for the series. Not series, I'm sorry. For that particular game. Um... My favorite moment of Security Breach would be the daycare section. Uh, the daycare attendant is a great character, both his over-the-top stress son persona and his sinister and vindictive moon persona. Uh, Killingoff kills it as the character. Uh, his section, before it was given bright colored wires that clash with the environment, was perfect. Uh, were some things I felt could have been improved? Sure, I mean, his pathing. 
I mean, it says, it speaks volumes that his pathing was so bad that instead of helping his AI, you know, be able to maneuver around objects in the room, uh, in an update, they just removed them so he stopped getting stuck on them. But overall, it was a near-perfect section of the game uh, that could have used a few more tweaks. I wish he climbed on the walls and the netting. I feel like that character is designed to be like a Ballora-type character in that uh, being able to crawl on all fours and do so like super fast like an animal would have been nice. Uh, and have him uncannily like, you know, climb. I mean, it's a his daycare section has netting and a jungle gym. I mean, why would you not have him start climbing on that like a spider? I mean, it's just perfectly set. I don't know why they did the Peter Pan uh, floating aspect of it. Uh, but it was super eerie. And to be fair, the dark tone of the section, it was the darkest that Scrooge had ever gotten. And it did remind me of uh, past Five Night games. And uh, I can't say I have any pertinent theories as of now uh, for Security Breach Ruin. As for hopes, I can just list my hopes here. Um, I hope we get an explanation of who Gregory is. And by extension, uh, why, Glamrock wa- why Glamrock Freddy was resistant to the virus for so long. Uh, by extension even that, I hope Michael Atten will return some capacity. I, uh, I hope the blob gets expanded on. And if it turns to be Molten Freddy... As I expect it to be, I hope Kellen Goff returns for the role and he plays a large part in the plot. Uh, speaking of Hill's playing a role in the plot, if Henny was done a disservice in Security Breach and I hope she gets reduced into the DLC. I would love, uh, instead of a text box emails, we collect recordings, kind of like a Benny the Ink Machine or Bioshock. Uh, I would also love more background of the company during this time period and learn more about the inner workings and the public opinion of Fast Food Entertainment. Oh, and most importantly, I want the game finished. And scary. I want a true Five Nights at Freddy's AAA experience like I was promised with Security Breach. That's most important. Everything else can be washed away as long as that is achieved. And uh, to your final question on the movie, I, I don't think there will be any lore in it. We don't already know. Uh, from what we have gotten from leaks, they seem to be going with the Michael Afton-focused story set in during the original Finance of Freddy's. Uh, if leaks are to be believed, Elizabeth is still alive and being taken care of by Mike during this time during this timeline. And Vanessa is even part of the plot, despite both Mike and Elizabeth technically being like, let's say, 20 plus years older than her. So I don't think it'll be canon, and I don't think they'll do any lore surprises on us. Um, other than just confirming things for the most part, because it'll be more blatant because it's a movie. Uh, great question. Our next question comes from Voidpire, who asks, what is your opinion on Afton's design talking about throughout the whole series? Okay, so I guess to break it down, we would have to dissect all four of his incarnations, right? Springtrap, Scraptrap, Glitchtrap, and Burntrap. Uh, let's start with Springtrap. Uh, he's, of course, a classic and one of the coolest designed robots in the series. I think it mixed a perfect balance of the withered husk of an animatronic shell that the withers had along the unsigned, alongside the uncanny appearance of a rotting corpse. Uh, his blank, creepy grin made wider by the deterioration along the smile curve. Uh, it creates an uncomfortable gaze. Uh, it is so fascinating that you can see William Afton's purple quartz. 
uh, his variety of skin, bones, and organs wrapped around or pierced by the metallic endoskeleton beneath. It all in all, extremely well designed. And on the opposite end, we have Scrap Trap. Yes, call me basic, but Scrap Trap's design sucks. It really, really does. So much of it just doesn't work. I, I get that Scott didn't want. I did. I get that Scott didn't want to reuse the screen track model. He never had reason to use uh, Scott, other than the sister location cutscene, had never reused models before. Uh, but he could he could have gotten away with a more damaged spring trap, and I think everyone would have been fine with that. What really sucks is that you also have to compare Scrap Trap with the other Scrap animatronics, which are all incredibly fun designs. Bull and Freddy has a mess of wires is such a unique visual. I wish we could even see him in motion. I would love to be... I, I think it would be so eerie to see him move around like a snake. Scrap Baby also has such a mental design, and it's cool to see a baby be a physical threat when she'd previously been more of a mentally manipulative one. And I love how Lefty is the cleanest of them all, and stands out as the black sheep of all of them, because Lefty, a literal black bear, is the odd one out. You know, Lefty is the puppet, who is the only good person compared to the other robots left, who are all... Not, not, there's no, there's no uh, tense in that one, they're all psychopaths. Glitch Trap, uh, moving on to Glitch Trap, uh, he was really was a nice renaissance of the character's design. I love how the inspiration clearly was on uh, old mascot costumes, leaning more towards a more fabric and seeing the human underneath visual compared to the cartoony bipedal robotic design we are used to for the character. Uh, and his animation is truly amazing. They really didn't nail the fluidity of his movements to sell that it was a living creature. You believe it's a human and not uh, animatronic beneath the costume. Uh, I think it sells it very well in that game in particular because everyone in, in the FNAF VR game moves so robotically that having something move so fluid really puts this nice um, uh, dread in into it, like suspense. It makes it stand out. And uh, finally with Burn Trap, I will summarize by saying it should have been the design of Scrap Trap from the beginning. Overall, I think the character's design for him has been great. Uh, with the overall character, in my opinion, needing some level of improvement, but overall, it's a great character. Uh, let's see. Next question is at Mr. Buzz0010. Oh, and this, uh, the previous question might be a nice segue to our final question here. Uh, at what point do you think in the FNAF timeline that Afton should have died for good? Also, what is your favorite music genre and favorite song album from it? Great question. Um, I'll answer the latter first, since the former will probably be an elongated discussion. Uh, my favorite music genre has actually recently changed to country, which I guess you can call stereotypical for a Midwestern guy. Um, my favorite album being Johnny Cash's Ring of Fire. Uh, but I've also had to say that I've been partial to classical or theater music beforehand, and um, of course I love uh, some pop. I love jazz as well. Jazz is also great. Uh, but I'd say country is probably my new big uh, favorite that I've been on recently. All right, on to the big question. What point do I think in the FNAF timeline Afton should have died for good? Honestly, 
it's sort of unfair to say FNAF 6, but at the same time, that really is when he should have died. I, I honestly hate how people always allude that in FNAF 3, he had like, that was the death of Springtrap. People count that as like, oh, Springtrap died during the fire in FNAF 3. That's not true. The newspaper clippings in that show that he survived, so it, it's not it's not exactly that uh, cut cut and dry. But FNAF six ending, and more specifically the speech of Henry in the conclusion of Michael Afton's arc that we that we have been taken on from FNAF four to up to this game, it really ends in a nice payoff that I knew for a fact even when Glitchtrap became a thing. Like, it then set up some rules then you had to have. I mean, these are basic rules in writing. Because uh, most people have brought this up in comparison to the Emperor Palpatine revival, episode 9 of Star Wars. And really is similar in terms of the problems that both have. In that, bringing back a character like this within no way of the heroes in the past being able to at least help in some way really diminishes their sacrifices they had to endure in that particular story where the villain was there. Uh, the same problem exists here in FNAF. Springtrap coming back in the form of Burn Trap or Glitch Trap, it does undermine not only Henry's speech in FNAF 6, but undermines the entirety of the arc of Michael Afton. Even more so if the blob turns out to be Molten Freddy. Like, wow, that's so cool. Our heroes from the time, from the games that we've, you know, we played since it was Scott the one Scott being the one who made them. Uh, all the evil people, you know, the mass serial killer and his ultimate killing machine. They're the two things that live out of the uh, tortured man, the abused son, the uh, abused daughter, and the killed child. That's great. I'm so glad that out of all those collections, the psychopath and the psychopath's best friend, they were the ones that got to live. That's that's just great. That's just great, especially after all the hard work. It's not like Michael Afton gets the most disrespect out of this franchise. It's not like they just forgot him in a Security Breach and we had to make up the glam Mike theory to effectively fix the plot that either Steelwall or Scott or whoever's decision was to bring William Afton back uh, forgot that people weren't just going to forget him and people liked his character and instead of being abandoned to being a background character, he wanted him elevated to being a main character protagonist state because he is, in fact, our overarching protagonist. I'm very sarcastic right now because <sighs> Burn Trap is such a cool design. And honest to God, I'm not opposed to the idea of Glitch Trap in the sense that Glitch Trap is just William Afton's influence uh, sticking around. I mean, that's fine. And the books have agony, which implies that's a thing that can happen. So that by itself is not a bad idea. Uh, but the fact that it is, in fact, William Afton's soul, the fact that William Afton went back into his suit as Burn Trap, I mean, it's not, it's not satisfying. Not, not in the least bit. So, I would say that Afton should have died for a good in the FNAF 6 fire. That should have been his end. With UCN as our last sort of glimpse into his fate being torched in hell for all eternity it shouldn't have been some form of dreamlike state i think that was a bad idea by scott it just should have just been straight up his hell that should have just been it uh, and people forget just because the story kills off a character 
doesn't mean that character is over. I mean, sure, his arc, his progression, that's all gone, but that doesn't mean we can cut back to him in the past. I mean, William Afton is such a rich character that there are so many stories you could tell during his time, like when he was running after robotics or Fredbear's Family Diner. So the character doesn't have to be abandoned. He's not dead. I mean, yes, he's dead in the story, but he's not dead in that you can't write more things for him. You just don't write more things from after that point of the plot. Um, and I wish that was the case because I don't think what we got in Secure Breach was any metric of good writing for the character. I mean, Secure Breach overall was not good writing at all. I think Scott really does need uh, help with a story writer, uh, some sort of ghost writer that can help sort of keep track of everything and have a better idea of what the fans want in the story. Uh, and that's just to say that you should always kowtow, kowtow to, you know, fan demands. But there is also an expectation, you know. And there's, that expectation is usually set by the storyteller with the story is creating. To use a real-life example of this, think uh, Game of Thrones with Jamie Lannister. You know, and Jamie Lannister, it's a character you hate from season one. Then throughout the series, you see how he is sort of this tortured soul that the world's sort of like the world's like a dumpster. They just throw all the trash and ill feelings towards him. And you see how that actually breaks him down and why it causes him to be the person he is. But then he starts to build from that through his relationships with his brother, with Brienne, and starts to become a better person. And he, and he shows how much he cares about you know, his family and cares about people. And then we cut season eight where even though he says he did things because he wanted to protect people and protect his family, um, he says he doesn't care about family. And he doesn't, well, specifically, he doesn't care about any family except Cersei. And he also um, doesn't care about people, despite the fact uh, he has twice done almost one treacherous action that labeled him the Kingslayer and fighting a literal army of the dead yet he does not care for people. This is stone-cold logic by the writers, and it is equivalent to character assassination. Um, and like I said before, Glam Mike really is a theory that not spur from evidence, I want to say. I mean, there's evidence for it for certain, but it wasn't spun out because there is hard evidence for it. It's spun out because it was kind of a hole in the plot that fixed a hole in the narrative and people are basically trying to use that as a way that basically people are basically writing the story for Scott Steelwool and saying that this is the direction you need to take because if it's not this direction then I mean you're doing just such a disrespect towards the character that we love and it's a legacy character uh, beyond that I mean, like it or not, I know people make fun of the fact that Michael Afton doesn't have much of a presence in the story besides that of a background element, but he is there, and his story is there, and the answer isn't to abandon him, it is to expand upon him. And that's where I would like to leave that question. Thank you so much for asking it. And with that, I believe today's episode is over. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to stay updated, please consider subscribing, following, or sharing this podcast. It truly helps us broaden our reach. Consider following us on our Twitter at Fazbear Podcast or supporting us on our Buy Me a Coffee page using the link in the description below. Next time, 
well, next time may not be an accurate description. As I've alluded to in the past two episodes, I've been working on the Secure Breach scripts, and one part of that script is an immersive narrative. And one part of that script is an immersive narrative experience, like we have previously done for the other games of the series. And a second one is an overall critical analysis of the game itself. Yes, I have decided not only will I cover Security Breach, but will also do an overly long analysis of the game itself because I have no life. <laughs> uh, however, I am also changing how I'm working on these episodes of the series because I want them to be better. And I kind of got the idea with the last episode I did. Count the Grease was great, don't get me wrong. I'm really happy with how it came out. But I also can't pretend that it also made me wish I could put more effort into every episode as I did for that one. So I've decided to retire from the old model of attempting to release an episode bi-weekly and instead focus more on creating great content when I am happy and believe it is not just ready, but above and beyond ready. Because of that, the next episode will probably not be Security Breach related but instead be this month's Shadow Scrying episode. I've been really happy with how these episodes have been turning out, and it is always fun to take a deep dive into the inspirations and intentions of the creator's art. So be sure to tune into the next episode, which will be covering the last story from the Tales from the Pizza Plex number 2, B7. I believe that update covers everything. Thank you once again for listening, and I've been your host, Nick. Have a good night. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.